What's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. remind ourselves of what transpired right before the Ten Commandments were given uh, so that we can understand, you know, what's happening here. And so if you remember right before the Ten Commandments are given, you know, Moses is there with the people and God says, I want you to prepare the people for I'm going to come and I'm going to come down on Mount Sinai. And the first thing that we see is that there's this thick cloud that comes over the mountain and there's thunder and there's lightning and there's this loud trumpet blast and it's not a trumpet blast from any person. This trumpet blast is coming from heaven itself. And the people, you know, they they respond first. There's a little bit of excitement. And then there's some some trembling. And then they get to the base of the mountain. and, And then there's some more things that transpire. All of a sudden now, the mountain's on fire. It's completely encompassed in smoke. And then this huge earthquake happens. And so you got the fire, you got the smoke, you got the thunder, you got the lightning, you got this loud trumpet. And it's just getting louder and louder and louder. And then all of a sudden, Moses speaks. And then God speaks. And God calls Moses to come up the mountain. And right when Moses gets up there, God says, all right, go right back down. Well, what are you talking about, go right back down? I just got here. And he says, go remind the people they can't come up. If they pass the barrier, then they're going to die. And so Moses goes back down, warns the people, don't go past the barrier, comes back up, and then he receives the Ten Commandments. And for the last few weeks, we've been looking at those commandments. And now the Ten Commandments have been given, and we're going to see how the Israelites respond with all these things that have transpired. I mean, it's just been a, a quite awe-inspiring you know, event with this mountain and the way that it is. And notice what transpires. Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 through 21 says this, Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. So notice as all this is happening, the lightning, the thunder, the smoke, the fire, you know, the people now have this response. And there's two things that we're told here. First, that they trembled. Well, why are they trembling? Well, they're afraid. You know, and you can understand, I mean, this is a pretty, you know, crazy thing that they're standing, you know, before and, and what they're seeing and this earthquake and all that's happening. And so they're trembling, but we're also seeing that then we're noticed, we're told they stood afar off. Now, remember, this is the same group 
that, man, they rushed to the mountain. They were ready to go up the mountain. And God says, no, do not cross this barrier. You cross the barrier, you're going to die. And right when Moses goes up, God says, go warn them again. Because they're ready to come up. They're ready to, to come look and, and see what they can see of me. And so you got to tell them to stay where they are. This group that's so desperate to get up the mountain, now what are they doing? They, they, they were drawn close, so they're standing afar off. You know, they were running to the mountain, now they're running away from the mountain. They want to get far from it, and we see this total change in what was happening because they have experienced the intimidating presence of God. And now there's this kind of change of heart. Well, maybe we don't want to get so close. Maybe we don't want to run up this mountain. Maybe we better actually even just get farther away from the mountain than where we are. And it was something more than just the lightning and the thunder and the fire and the earthquake and the trumpet blast that really struck fear in them. Actually, there's one thing particular that really influenced them the most. Notice what they say to Moses in verse 19. You speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. Now here's something very important that maybe you never thought of when it comes to the Ten Commandments because we're always thinking the Ten Commandments, God wrote them down, gave them to Moses, and then Moses kind of communicates them to the nation of Israel. But that's actually not what transpired. Here we recognize that, remember back in verse uh, 9 of chapter 19, it says this, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. So God told them, hey, when I show up, Moses, not only am I going to show up in this powerful way, but I am going to speak from heaven audibly so that not only you can hear, but the people can hear that I'm speaking to you. I want them to hear what I'm saying. I want them to know that you and I have these conversations with one another. And Deuteronomy gives us more details about what actually transpired when the Ten Commandments were given. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 22 through 27 says this, these words the Lord spoke to all your assembly in the mountain from the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness with a loud voice. And he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. So it was while you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, that you came near me in the heads of all your tribes and your elders, and you said, surely... The Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God speaks with man, yet he still lives. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, then we shall die. For who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived? You go near and hear the Lord our God may say and tell us all that the Lord our God says to you and we will hear and do it. So notice what's transpiring here. God isn't just having this private conversation with Moses writing down the Ten Commandments on the tablets and saying you go communicate this to the people. God is speaking to Moses so loudly when he speaks of the Ten Commandments all the nation of Israel who is around the mountain hears this. And now there's this response. Not only are they responding in fear and trembling and standing afar off, but now they come to Moses and say, Moses, you speak. 
We don't want God speaking anymore. We don't. We should. We should die if God continues, you know, to to speak to us. And I think this is interesting of what we see here. Of they're basically asking Moses, "You be a mediator between us and God." And what I like about this is the law, the Ten Commandments. When they first hear this, that they respond with fear. They respond with trembling because I think as they're listening to this. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. As they hear God's voice proclaiming these things, many in that crowd are thinking, I've already done that. You know, not only is this all, you know, wow, the fire, the earthquake, everything going on, but the voice of Almighty God is telling me what he commands of me, and I recognize that I'm already guilty of breaking many of the things that he's telling me not to do. And they're responding with fear. And this is interesting because... You know, this is one of the purposes of the law. The law was ultimately to show people, hey, look at, here's the perfect standard that you can't meet. Here's the perfect standard that you've already broken. Here's the perfect standard that God has. And there's this idea of, notice what Deuteronomy says, and here in, in Exodus as well, you know, we're going to die, Moses. If you're not the one mediating, if you're not the one speaking, and we don't speak with God, they see and recognize we are sinful. God is holy. This experience has kind of brought them to this place of, whoa, we're going to get away from this mountain. We're going to stand back. You know, as we see this and hear what God's standard is and look at our own lives and reflect, we all deserve death. We deserve the judgment of God. There's this recognition now that the law of God is bringing upon the people of God. And this is the purpose, one of the big purposes of the law. And notice the very first time it's ever given this is the first initial response, a sponsor of fear of judgment. Why? Because they are guilty sinners. And that's what the law does. Here's the standard. You don't meet it. And you deserve judgment from God because you don't meet the standard. And so this is what the law did. They responded, but also notice the law does something else. It brings this recognition of, I need a mediator. I need someone to stand between me and God because I'm not worthy. And look at me, look at what I am, look at God, look at who he is, look at what I've done. I need a mediator. They asked Moses to be their mediator. But there's a mediator that's far more important than Moses. The savior that we need is also the mediator that God has provided. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. All of us are guilty sinners. All of us need a mediator between us and God. But the Bible makes it very clear. It's not just any man. You know, the Roman Catholic Church has taken this and it's been a problem of, you know, you can't get to God yourself. You need a priest to pray for you. You need to confess to a man and let him kind of mediate between you and God. No, that's not what the word of God says. There's one mediator, just one. And that one is Jesus Christ. Himself, The one who lived the perfect sinless life, the one who kept the law, which we couldn't, the one who died for the times that we broke the law. He is not only the savior, but he's also the mediator between us and God. So this experience, God coming down on the mountain, which I'm sure everyone was so excited. Woo! We're going to see the presence of God. This is going to be amazing. Moses, when you told us that story of the burning bush, wow, it's going to be a crazy thing. Yeah, it was. It was a burning mountain. With fire, thunder, lightning, earthquakes, and then the voice of Almighty God speaking the Ten Commandments. And this is a bit much. 
And now they respond with fear, with trembling, with standing afar off, wanting Moses to mediate between them and God, not wanting to hear God's voice any longer. And notice how Moses responds to the fear that the nation of Israel is is demonstrating here in verse 20. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. Hey, don't fear, Israelites. But then he says, God has put his fear before you. Don't fear, but God has placed fear before you. And it seems like a contradiction here. What are you talking about, Moses? But here is one of those times, like we often see, where the original language helps a little bit with the translation because we have this word fear translated twice the same, but actually it's two different words that God uses here in the Hebrew. The first time when Moses says, do not fear, he uses the Hebrew word yare, which means fear brought on by terror of something dreadful. So when he's speaking of that initial fear, hey, don't fear, have this terror of something dreadful happening to you. But the second time when he says God's fear is before you, he uses a different Hebrew word, yara, which means fear that causes respect, reverence, and love. And so he's saying, hey, there's there's a wrong type of fear and there's a right type of fear to have in our relationship with God. Right now, you Israelites, you guys got the wrong fear. And so don't fear like you're fearing now. Instead, there's actually a proper way to fear God. And that is the way that you should fear him. The wrong fear is that fear that is brought on by terror of something dreadful. And that kind of fear is what the Israelites had, and it causes them to tremble. It causes them to stand afar off from God. But the right kind of fear, it's one that causes respect and reverence towards God. You know, as a kid, you see like a Frankenstein type of monster. And, you know, typically if you're young enough, it brings that initial first type of fear that we're talking about, that that fear of terror and dread of, oh, I don't want anything like that coming near me. And there's there's this, I'm afraid of, of what it might do. And that's the kind of fear that the Israelites have right now, which is not the fear that they should. But, you know, as we become adults, and we're driving down the road, and all of a sudden in our rearview mirror, we see a police officer. Well, well, what do we do? Well, we start to obey the, law, the laws of the road. You know, there's this sense of, hey, because that's there, I want to respect the law. Why? Because I know that there's someone behind me who will punish me for breaking it. And, you know, so we shouldn't have a fear of God like we would of a Frankenstein monster filled with terror. Instead, we should have a fear of God like we would of a police officer with that reverence and respect for, for the law and for the law enforcer. You know, the right kind of fear of God is that healthy dread of doing anything that would displease him. You know, kind of like with a parent. You know, growing up, I had two different types of fears of my dad. There was a fear of, hey, you know what? I know if I do something that is not allowed in my home, there is discipline, there are spankings coming to me. And so there was kind of that terror fear. But you know, actually, the thing that motivated me even more was this love for my dad that says, I don't want to disappoint him. You know, I want to do things that please him. And so both of those things were, were different types of fear, but the respect fear is the kind that is ultimately what we're wanting to do in our relationship with God. And so Moses is saying, don't fear the God the way that you're fearing him now, with this terror, with this dread. 
Instead, have a fear of God with reverence and respect. But you know what? Each one of us should fear God. There's kind of two problems that we see with with Christians. The first one is probably the biggest of all. There's no fear at all. And there are Christians in that that category where they just have zero fear of God. No fear of God is a really bad place to be. Uh, And so, you know, that is something that none of us should want to be in that place. But the more common one is the wrong fear. Oh, I have fear of God, all right. I have fear that he's on the throne ready to strike me down at any moment. There's this terror and dread that we have towards God. And so each one of those is problematic. No fear at all is bad, and the wrong type of fear is bad. And what we're ultimately seeing here, what Moses is encouraging the nation of Israel, is you want to have the right fear. A fear that that helps you in your relationship with God. Because notice the response with the wrong fear. The Israelites are, hey, you know what? We have this terror, we have this dread, and notice what they do. They tremble, but more importantly, they stand afar off. This group that wanted to get close and draw near to God, all excited, oh, we're ready to run up this mountain. If we weren't going to die, we would, are like, man, let's get away from this mountain. Let's get away from God. Let's get away from his presence. And so notice that fear, instead of drawing them close to the Lord, giving them deeper intimacy with God, it keeps them away. It's a fear that leads to a lack of intimacy and relationship. It hinders that relationship with the Lord. And so that's one of the big problems that we have when we have the wrong type of fear. It's a fear that actually gets in the way of our relationship with God instead of a fear that enhances it and blesses it, which is the second type of fear. When you have that reverential fear, that respect fear, it has many blessings that come to our relationship with God. And I want us to take a moment to to look at some of the things that the Bible tells us of what this proper fear of God can do for you and I. Psalm 111.10 and Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, they tell us this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And notice here we have two things. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That the beginning, the source, it comes to fearing God, this proper understanding of who God is versus who I am. This reverential respect and awe of the creator of heaven and earth. You have to start with that to have true knowledge and true wisdom. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. It's not only the beginning of wisdom, but the middle and the end. It is indeed the alpha and omega, the essence, the body and the soul, the sum and substance. He that hath the fear of God is truly wise. Until someone has a proper fear of God in the eyes of God, who's really all that matters, they're not wise and knowledgeable. And I think this is interesting because in the culture that we live in, we have very well-educated individuals that the culture looks and says, wow, they're so wise, they're so knowledgeable, but yet we see that they completely deny the existence of God, completely deny that there is a God. They're atheists and the world puts them up and says, look at how wise these men are, these women are, look at how knowledgeable they are. But you know, the Bible says something very different. The Bible tells us that those who deny the existence of God, he doesn't see them as knowledgeable and wise. Notice what Psalm 14.1 says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. 
Now, in our culture today, it's like, well, the truly intellectual have said in their heart there is no God. The foolish Christians are the ones who believe in him. You know, that's what we're being told. You need that crutch. You need that religious stuff. Well, fine. You guys are the morons who can believe that. But those of us who are truly educated, who recognize there is no God, who recognize evolution has disproved God, we're the truly wise ones. You guys are the foolish ones. Where God says, no, actually, it's the opposite. Those who believe in me have a fear of me. They are the truly wise and knowledgeable. Those who have denied that I exist, they're the ones who are foolish. So one of the wonderful blessings that fear of the Lord brings is wisdom and knowledge. And I hope as Christians, that's something that we pray for. That's something that we desire. I want greater wisdom. I want greater knowledge of how God wants me to live my life, of how to apply his principles to my life. But it really starts with, I got to have a fear of God. I got to have this reverential, respectful recognition of who he is to really grasp the wisdom and the knowledge that he wants me to understand. You know, there's more that the fear of the Lord does. Proverbs 10, 27 and Proverbs 19, 23, it says this. The fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. The fear of the Lord leads to life. And he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. So not only does it bring knowledge and wisdom, but notice the life that it brings. It's not just a longer life, which is great. And you know what? If you fear God, you're walking in wisdom and knowledge. So many of the things that shorten our lifespan is disobedience to God, engaging in sinful behavior. You know what? Your life's going to be longer. But it's not just longevity, it's longer life that's full of more satisfaction. Notice, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. Once you know, fear God, know wisdom, know knowledge, start obeying God, there is a satisfaction in life that comes because of that. And God says, here's another one of the, the great blessings of those who fear me. They live longer, but they live better. Their lives are more satisfying because of it. But you know what? As we recognize the importance of this, for those of us who are parents, this is one of the best things, and not just parents, just people who want to pass on something. Well, what can I give to other people? How can I encourage other people? The fear of the Lord is one of the greatest things to try to encourage people in and with. And Psalm 3411, David Writing says this, come you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. This was David's heart. Hey, come to me. I want to teach you one of the most important things there is, the fear of God. And that should be the heart of all of us who are parents, that we should want to communicate that truth to our kids. But you know what? This is one of those truths that is far better communicated through example than just through words. We could tell them of how important it is to fear God. We could give them examples of fearing God. But you know what? In our own life, if we're not doing it, it's not going to be effective. We've got to show it in the way in which we live. Matthew Henry wrote this. David was a famous musician, a statesman, a soldier, but he does not say to his children, I will teach you to play on the harp or to handle the sword or spear or to draw the bow or I will teach you the maxims of state policy, but I will teach you the fear of the Lord, which is better than all arts and sciences, better than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. This is it, which we should be concerned both to learn ourselves and to teach our children. 
So a proper fear of God is something that each one of us as believers should be seeking to pursue, seeking to to do because we recognize how important it is, the benefits that come. And notice one of the reasons that Moses says this. I've shared benefits and blessings, but there's another probably more important one than all. Notice how he says, hey, I want you to have a proper fear of God instead of the kind of one you have now. Why? So that you may not sin. Notice that. That's one of the biggest reasons, guys. I want you to have a reverential fear of God. Why? Because it helps prevent sin. It helps prevent disobedience. And we're going to see through the nation of Israel, that's one of their big struggles. They're not so obedient. They sin a lot. And they need that proper fear of God to help prevent the choice to disobey and sin. You know, I think something that's important to recognize is that God disciplines those he loves. And when we see that, there should be a good, healthy fear of, hey, you know what? If I do this, which God tells me not to, if I engage in that, God loves me enough that he is going to discipline me in that. And hopefully that fear chooses us to say, hey, you know what? I think I'm going to be obedient. You know, another great motivator to obey, I'd say even a better motivator, is love for God. And, you know, even in your own relationship with others, with parents, whoever, you know, there's a greater motivator of I'm going to do this out of love than just out of fear. But both are healthy. Both are good. Because there are times when it's like, you know what, the love's not there enough to keep me from doing what I should do. You know, but there's a fear aspect that does kind of say, you know what, yeah, maybe the love's not motivating me, but the fear is. And it's healthy with kids. You know, there are times where kids are obedient because, oh, I just love you, mom. I just love you, dad. I just want to do what you tell me today. And there's other days where it's like, I don't care what you say. I don't want to do it, but I'm going to because I don't want to be disciplined. I have that fear of what's going to happen if I don't. And I think it's a healthy balance that we need in our Christian lives. That it's not an either or. It's not like just love, no fear, or just fear, no love. That we want to have that healthy balance of both of those things in our life and kind of have that good tension where we're not swinging the pendulum to one to the extreme of the other. To give you an example, the last time that Jenny's parents were here, they visited us and they bought this glass door that we put on, you know, the outside of the back door there so we can leave the back door open and get more sunlight. Uh, And, you know, as we put that on, you know, myself and Jenny's dad, you know, the last thing we had to do is put on the hydraulic door closer and, you know, it ultimately causes the door to, to automatically close. But the key to that is to get the proper tension. If you leave it too loose, then the glass door, it slams shut. Obviously, you don't want that or you're going to break your glass. But if you put it too tight, the door actually doesn't completely close. Uh, and so then you get all the hot air and the bugs and everything coming in. And so you got to just have the proper balance where, you know, it's not too loose where it slams tight. It's not too tight where it doesn't close at all. You get it just right where it will close perfectly where you want it. And I think in the same sense, we want to have that proper balance of tension in this love fear that we have with the Lord. Because, you know, sometimes we operate too much out of fear. We find ourselves always looking over our shoulder. Oh, did I just please God? Is he going to you know, come and get me? And, and you know, there's, there's a sense in which you know, that fear brings us more to operate out of legalism than out of grace. And it can lead to a lot of problems into our relationship with the Lord. And too much fear is like when there's too much, uh, uh, too loose. There's not enough tension there. And all of a sudden the door just swings closed and things break. 
And there's problems in that. And so we got to make sure, okay, well, we can't just swing too far to that. But also, you know, if we operate out of too much love without the balance of fear, we run the risk of, you know, kind of looking at God as just my big buddy. And I think too often that's how Christians see him, or he's my, you know, just the loving father. And that's a great thing. But we also got to see more of that reverential respect of, hey, he's the creator of heaven and earth. He's holy. He's just. But sometimes it's like, oh, hey, you know, he's my big buddy. I can slide on this. I mean, surely he's not going to have a problem with it. I can go down and do this sinful thing. I mean, God, he's just a loving God. What's the big deal? And we can get too loose in how we do things and you know we don't have the proper balance and that's kind of like hey you know what the tension too strong the door doesn't close all the way and all of a sudden now we got things coming in that we shouldn't we're allowing stuff to come in because we're just kind of swinging too far to just oh, love 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 you know without the fear that kind of balances that together and so I think it's a good thing to have that proper balance of good fear of God with an understanding of love for him as well. But the Israelites don't have it. You know, they start off with that fear, that trembling, Lord, uh, we'll be over here, you stay over there. Actually, don't even speak to us anymore. Just speak to Moses and he'll he'll uh, give us your message. You know, that's kind of the place that they are right now. And Moses is like, no, 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 don't, don't be there. That's not where you should be. That's not a good place. There's a healthy fear which draws you close to God. Your fear is taking you from him. And notice the difference. Verse 21, we see a different response of Moses because Moses has a healthy fear. He has the proper fear. He's trying to encourage the nation of Israel to also have this. Verse 21, so the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. So since Moses has this proper fear, this reverential, respectful fear, instead of being drawn away from God, he's drawn toward him. And he's trying to encourage the others, hey, you know, no, this is, we want to be close to him. Yes, I, I can understand, you know, the fire, the thunder, you know, the earthquake, the trumpet, the, the audible voice of the Ten Commandments. I get why you're trembling. I get why there is fear here. But you know what? Hey, have a reverential fear that lets you step closer to the Lord, that draws you to him, not causes you to go away. But you know what? I think another important balance, we notice the balance of fear and love, but there's also another important balance that I think whenever we speak of the fear of God that we can lose sight of is the balance of fear and the grace of God. Having a proper fear reverence of who God is, but also recognizing the grace that God displays to sinful people. Because Moses is not worthy you know, it's not like, hey, guys, come on. Yeah, you stay over there. I'll approach God because I'm the only one truly worthy here. You guys are just a bunch of sinful people. Unlike me, I'll go to the mountain. Let's not forget that Moses is a murderer. You know, I mean, this is a guy that is not worthy to go and approach God. But yet he realizes it's not about my worth. God is gracious. God is going to allow me to come and draw near him, even though I am not worthy. And I think we need to have that proper balance where there's that fear, but a fear that doesn't draw us from God. It's balanced with grace that understands, hey, you know what? Yeah, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve a relationship with God. I don't deserve to get to come to God right now, but he's gracious. He gives me what I don't deserve. He offers to me what I haven't earned. And that's the wonderful reality of the relationship that you and I have with God. And we have it so much more than Moses did. Because Moses didn't have Christ, and we do. 
Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 tells us this. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What a wonderful encouragement. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Well, what do you find there when you come? You you, you find mercy, you find grace in your time of need. God definitely should be feared. We definitely should show reverential awe as we approach to him. But it needs to be balanced with love. It needs to be balanced with grace, knowing that at any time, because of Jesus' sacrifice for our sin, I can come boldly to the throne of grace. And you know what? The most important time to come boldly to the throne of grace is the time that we feel least worthy, right when we just sinned. All right, well, you know, when I've read my Bible for an hour, I'll come to the throne of grace. You know, when I've prayed for a while, then then I'll come to the throne of grace. When I've served, you know, for a long enough time, you know, when I've given enough of my money or my efforts or my whatever, then I feel kind of worthy of the throne. Oh, now I can come. But it's not about worth. It's a throne of grace. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. But God says, come anyway. Jesus made it possible. He earned it on your behalf, so you don't have to. You don't deserve it, but I'm going to give it to you because of him. And I think the best thing that we can do right after we sin, the the, the thing that we so often avoid, is the throne of grace. Lord, I've blown it and I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you recognizing it's a grace throne. I don't deserve it, especially with what I just did, with what I just thought. uh, That's not why I'm coming. I'm coming because it's a throne of grace. You've dealt with my sin. I can come here. When I confess that sin to you, you forgive it, you cleanse it. It's the place that I need to be. But you know, too often, we fall for the lie of the enemy. God doesn't want any time with you right now. You better go pray. You better go read your Bible before you even dare think about approaching God after what you just did or what you just said or what you just thought. You don't deserve it. But the reality is, we never do. You don't deserve it once you read your Bible either. You don't deserve it once you pray for all day long. And nothing that you do is going to make you deserving. And so that's what we have to recognize. Well, yes, Satan, I don't deserve it, but that's why it's a throne of grace. I can come, even though I'm an undeserving, sinful person, I'm always allowed. Not only am I always allowed, God says, come boldly. It's kind of crazy because it's like, uh, boldly, I mean, (laughs) I might come, you know, trembling like the nation of Israel. I might come thinking I'm just this wretched sinner, but I can come boldly. Why? Because my sin has been dealt with at the cross. And so I can come to God knowing that he will accept me, knowing that he will forgive me, knowing that he wants me to draw close to him, get intimate with him, not run from him. And that's our dilemma. You know, when we see God, when we look at the law, when we recognize I've broken it, and we fear the, you know, that trembling fear, that, that kind of fear that we shouldn't have, all of a sudden it's like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go this way. Forget time with God. You know, I don't want that right now, after what I just did. Instead of just saying, you know what, the most important thing that I need right now is time with God. Because it's that catch-22. I sin. It draws me away from God. Well, guess what happens when you don't spend time with God? You sin more. Now I feel even less worthy. And I spend less time with Him. And that causes me to sin even more. And I feel even less worthy. And I spend less time with Him. It's just this perpetual problem, this cycle that just keeps you from the Lord. 
And so he said, hey, whenever, come boldly. I don't care what you've done. I'm here. I'm here to forgive. I'm here to help. I'm here to get you back on the right path. But you've got to come to me. Don't run from me. The Bible has a lot to say about this proper kind of fear. And we see two different responses. The law comes out. The awe of God is displayed. The Israelites, they tremble with fear. They stand afar off with fear. Moses tries to encourage them and does the exact opposite. No, no, no. Have a proper fear, reverential fear. Draw close. And that's what he does. And we need to be like Moses with that proper, reverential, respectful fear. A fear that has a balance. A balance with love. A balance with grace that draws us to God instead of keeping us from God. And when you have that fear, the great thing is it comes with a lot of blessings. Wisdom, knowledge, long life, satisfying life. There's so many things that it brings to us. And so we should value it greatly and pursue it with all that we are. Any thoughts?